Welcome to Cypher Vision and today's episode, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion in IP. I'm Nigel Schweitzer and joined by co-host Francesca Lavoie. Hi, Frankie. Hi, Nigel. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm super happy because today's guests are Mike Bins and Braxton Davis, both pioneers in DEI, as it happens, both Assistant General Counsel in Meta, but we'll be talking more about the former than the latter, and leading the way for IP teams globally. And it's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much, Nigel and Frankie. Really appreciate you having us here. Michael Bins, of course, you mentioned the Meta stuff, but that's least important. Most importantly, uh, the pleasure of being here and, and all the great work that you all do at Cypher. And thank you for taking the time to highlight what is very important to not only Braxton and myself, but to the team at Meta, which is efforts within diversity, equity, and inclusion. So grateful for that space. And for those people who are watching it on audio, what you won't see is Braxton is wearing an NCPP shirt. So hi, Braxton. As Mike said, we're happy to be here, thrilled for another opportunity yet to highlight some of the great work that we're doing in the profession and thrilled to have you guys along for the ride. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us on Cypher Vision to talk about diversity. seems like such a fundamental topic that's relevant to every single organization under the sun. So you've both got incredible stories to share with us today. Braxton, maybe we could start with you. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you ended up in IP and some of the challenges and obstacles that you discovered and how you overcame those? So initially, undergrad, I was able to obtain degrees in physics and electrical engineering from Morehouse College and Georgia Institute of Technology, respectively. After graduation, worked for General Electric and decided that in a couple of years, I wanted to go to law school. And, and part of the reason for that was after experiencing racial profiling on several occasions with police and, and some negative experiences and, and contacting attorneys who essentially said, well, you know, we see police get off from beating people all the time. So unless you have time and money to fight a case, it's probably not going to be worth it. And that was just very disheartening for me. I began by thinking about how can I protect myself? How can I protect my family as a black male here in America? And so I said, well, the next best thing I could do is go to law school and learn my rights. And so after that, I just happened to run into a patent attorney at General Electric who said, hey, well, if you're considering law school and you have an engineering degree, you should become a patent attorney. And so that's initially what placed me on the path to becoming a patent attorney. So I then took the patent bar and was gung-ho about patent law and enrolled in law school and was ready to take on the world, only to get to law school and realize that it actually didn't prepare me for the task at hand of being a patent practitioner, for drafting and prosecuting patent applications. And so that's essentially what led me on this course to begin training the Patent Institute of Training, which later became the National Council on Patent Practicum, with a real focus on getting more diversity within depression, whether it's women, underrepresented minorities, and really trying to do something about that, because that's a, a big part of what's occurring within our profession right now. Thank you, Braxton. And that's quite a story. Some great insight there for everyone who's who's listening. Mike, could you tell us a little bit about your story and how did you fall into patent law? I think fall in is probably an adequate description, not dissimilar to Braxton. I found myself in an interview after my first year of law school with a law firm that saw that I had a science background and said, hey, would you like to join our firm doing patent law? This is the first time I'd ever heard of it. But of course, looking forward to getting a job, I said, of course, I'm happy to patently help you, right? No problem. 
flubbed the rest of the interview, making it up as I went along. Needless to say, I did not get that job. But then I went back and studied and realized that there was this entire world called patent law out there where innovation meets the law and you effectively get to protect IP on behalf of innovators. And my mind, as someone who loved innovation and technology, was blown at that point. But law was even something that I had not intended to go through. You know, I'm from Caribbean background. I was born in Jamaica, West Indies. I was going to become a doctor because that was one of the things that was readily pitched to me. Well, it's a good thing I didn't go that route because I don't like the sight of blood. And my wife jokingly laughs at me for that. But even law, I stumbled into. And I think that's kind of part of the problem that we're looking to address is so many minorities, not just African-American men or women, but I think minorities generally don't often hear lawyer as a profession and less so patent law, which is this entire field within intellectual property. So hopefully a lot of the initiatives we're working on, including at the NCPP and at Meta and beyond, we can start to demystify the profession and draw more individuals into it. And Mike, you always sound so upbeat and cheerful. I don't know whether you're happy to go and share the Mike statistic story, because I think that puts all of this underrepresentation into context. Of course, my name is Mike Bins. I love my name. I grew up in the 90s, so I am a big fan of Mike Jackson, Mike Tyson, Mike Jordan. Love my name, had a lot of pride in it. But one statistic I do not like about the term is that within the patent profession, statistically speaking, there are more Michaels in the patent profession of roughly 90,000 in existence than there are racially diverse women. This is the one time where my namesake kind of is negative. So I think that's part of the issue that we're seeing. When you hear the statistically speaking, 1.8% of attorneys are African-American in the patent space. And that's another reason falling short of even the 5% of the broader statistical number of attorneys generally. We're, we're far from parity when we start to think about those numbers. And when you do think about those numbers and thinking about diversity, equity and inclusion, it, it's definitely the right thing to do, but it also makes amazing economic sense There are countless studies out there that show that when you have a diverse group of people working together, the business outcomes are by far and away much better. Could you tell us a little bit, Braxton, around how Meta have taken this on board and how they're dealing with DEI? Yes, of course. It all starts from the top. We have great leadership in Alan Lowe and and Jeremiah Chang, and they were just very intentional about crafting a, a diverse team. We hold our outside counsel to a certain standard when it comes to uh, diversity efforts. But even before we do that, we hold ourselves to that standard. And that's really impactful and meaningful because you don't want to be a hypocrite, right? If, if you're going to you know, mandate something, then, then you need to be doing those things yourself. And that's, that's really one of the things that I think Meta has been great at. But it, it all boils down to just really being intentional about it and giving people opportunities that they may not be privy to otherwise. And I think that that's simply what it boils down to is, is intent. And the, the common phrase is walking it like you talk it. So that's Meta. And do Meta have any sort of targets that they want to hit or how do they judge themselves? Are they doing the right thing? It's not about targets. And let me explain why we don't focus on targets. 
unfortunately, when you're thinking about DNI, when you you lock in on a target, people often, when they reach that target, tend to go phew, and then it stops. Right? Then you end up with this artificial number that's articulated to represent DNI, and while perhaps well intended, misses the mark of the purpose of diversity, which is to bring diversity of thought, cognitive differences, and various backgrounds and understanding together so that you can create a better solution to not only the work that we do day in and day out, but to further support the mission of the company, which is connecting people. If we ourselves are not diverse and think differently from a number of different backgrounds, how can we service a population that is similarly situated? And so it's not about a data set, it's just about a mindset of saying, where are we missing diversity of thought? Can you see that diversity in action in terms of the, the benefits of creating programs that promote diversity? Our team is 67% Black, Indigenous, and people of color, 48% female, and our most senior leaders are half female and all people of color. When we look out at our business units that we support, we're starting to emulate those numbers as well. We're starting to see that each of those individuals can see in us a similarity, which boosts relationships, boosts an understanding of who they can come and connect with. And lastly, it boosts that connection, right? Which at Meta is extremely important because it's a part of our mission. So yes, we do see it in the products and services that we provide and the service that we provide to our clients. And so it's there day in and day out. I think the only thing that that I'll add is it, it truly does make a difference when you look across a room and you see somebody who looks like you, when you know that they've experienced some of the same problems that you have, have had to overcome some of the same barriers and hurdles, it makes for a more perfect bond, a better camaraderie. And so that's very impactful, especially coming from an industry where traditionally you walk into a room and absolutely no one looks like you. You're the only maybe African-American, you're the only woman in a room with a bunch of male attorneys. And just having somebody there who you know has experienced similar scenarios as yourself and can relate. It means a world of difference when it comes to uh, your professional aptitude, how you perform, how you feel about your responsibilities and your day-to-day job. Can I just go back to NCPP? One of the things you said a minute ago, Braxton, was, was walking the talk. And there's often a gap between those two words. And one of the things I've heard said is, well, of course, we can't hire diverse candidates, but because they're aren't sufficient numbers of qualified candidates. I think NCPP, cracking the nut, how have you gone about solving that particular problem? We've taken a different approach than law firms have traditionally, right? In an industry where only 5% of attorneys are even African-American as your pool of patent practitioners, when only even a smaller percentage of that 5% is going to be able to apply by virtue of the fact that they don't have a science or engineering degree. And so the approach that we take that that is unique to patent law specifically is that we target engineers and scientists at that phase where they're an undergrad or recent graduates, because that's where you'll get more impact and more magnitude from a diversity perspective, right? You don't have to go to law school to be a patent agent. Instead, what we do is we not only go to the root of where you can find that diversity from an engineering and science perspective, but we first let these candidates know that, hey, this profession is for you. And the fact that 
you don't have to practice as an engineer, but you can use your engineering degree to actually get into the legal profession. Once we let them know that, then that piques their interest. We provide them the resources for the training and support that they need to actually become technical specialists and patent agents, go to work for a firm, which then also increases their eligibility and potential for going to law school. Not to mention the support and outreach that we receive from various scholarships and law firms who are looking to support diverse candidates who are technical specialists and patent agents to go to law school. So this is also a means for them to get law school potentially paid for or work and make a great living while going to law school part time. Or it just really opens up multiple doors for these candidates. And this is what NCPP has done. Put that myth that you can't find anybody. You can't find diverse candidates. You can't find trained candidates to bed. We do the recruiting. We do the training. And so we cut straight to the chase and get rid of all of those excuses from the top. And Braxton, are you now benefiting from individuals who've gone through this program? <laughs> I am. I am. It's For me, it, it's very emotional when you see somebody that you trained and you see their career trajectory take off. You know, I, I have students that have been trained who are now in-house counsel, who are now partners at firms, who are, who are thriving associates. But with the proliferation of NCPP and the, and the patent pipeline program that we founded, we had our first cohort last year, whereby as Associate General Counsel at Meta, I had the opportunity to mentor them internally and have these students shadow us and, and figure out what it's like to be in-house counsel. But ultimately, when that student is hired full-time by a law firm that supports us, they then become my outside counsel. The most emotional experience that I've had as of recent was having one of those students, Priya Jigadish, email me and ask me, you know, what I wanted to do about a prosecution matter and provide me with a recommendation on what I should do. Yeah, and that's that's amazing to hear how these programs are working and we're changing the diversity landscape. Mike, if I'm someone in an IP team who's listening to this, how can I get involved? What other initiatives can other organizations be involved with to promote diversity in their IP teams? Great question. So, of course, Braxton mentioned the Patent Pipeline Program, which is an NCPP program. You can join the Patent Pipeline Program. It is not a meta-specific event. Braxton references that graduation, which was, for all intents and purposes, a tearjerker to watch the culmination of a year-long education and career-building opportunity for three amazing scholars who are now joining the profession. But there are other initiatives that are not just being done by Meta, they're significantly more. And one of those reasons is why we formed a coalition called ADAPT, Advancing Diversity Across Patent Teams. You can check us out at adapt.legal. The website is live, and it's all going to culminate on September 28, 2022, as a part of Lotbridge, Day of DEI Call to Action. So... The focus of ADAPT is pretty simple. Increase accessibility. Create a database of information to help accelerate adoption of DEI programs by more companies. Two, provide mentorship so that we can create a program to support diverse patent professionals through a law school and in early stages of their career, as Braxton mentioned, before they approach law school. And lastly, technology. Track and publish industry DEI statistics that standardize DEI reporting across the industry. And this initiative was not just a partnership from Meta, but it was a cross collaboration with Google, Microsoft, Amazon, 
the Walt Disney Company, and Cruise. And I'm honored to say that when we launched and announced the initiative, that several other companies have reached out to say, we love to be a part of this. And for other companies to join, so that you too can jump into promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion in the space. Clearly a very impressive set of names. All quite large companies. Is this only for large companies? That's a great question, Nigel. The answer is no. The way the program is designed, it's for legal departments that may only have one individual, as well as other organizations such as law firms that are looking to support. So the way we've situated the platform is that a small uh, or large company can go onto the platform, use the framework that we're designing, and pick and select programming that will allow you to as little as one hour a month of volunteering for your legal department, all the way to creating and scaling your own patent pipeline program. What we want to do is demystify any of the argument that I can't do this because I'm not a meta or I'm not a Google. The reality is there's a lot of infrastructure that's already put in place and adapted bringing that all together in a single place so everyone can benefit. And hopefully we'll start to move the needle to collectively as we all pull in the same direction to solve this problem. It's fantastic to hear about these initiatives in the legal profession, but when we're talking about innovation, and Mike, you mentioned how exciting it is to be there and be part of that ideation phase. When we're looking at the cycle, how are we looking at diversity within the individuals who are actually coming up with the ideas? First and foremost, we realize that there is actually you know, disparity amongst minority and underrepresented inventors as well. Traditionally, they do not own as many patents as, let's say, their their non-minority counterparts. For us, particularly, uh, specifically at Meta, you know, we've taken the approach of engaging individuals and beginning certain initiatives that will get to the help get to the root of that problem and really looking for diverse inventors and looking to give them the resources and support that they need to actually become the owner of a patent or the inventor on a patent application, which can change their lives. Just recently, Mike and I met someone external to Meta who was so thrilled that her application was patented. Just to see the sparkle in her eye and and understand what that means for her and, and what she can do with that. Now her resume over somewhere, she put, I'm an inventor on X, Y, and Z, which holds credence and credibility for her. This whole DEI initiative is looking at not only race, but also gender. And Mike, I think you've got a story about Spanx, which might entertain our listeners. I'm glad you referenced that, Nigel. So we use this one regularly. Braxton and I are both in Atlanta, Georgia, in the US. And it resonates with us that the founder of Spanx, Sarah Blakely, when she came up with the innovative idea for Spanx, She embarked on a journey to find a patent attorney in Atlanta that could represent her. And unfortunately, and look, there's nothing wrong with this, but we see why diversity of thought makes a difference. She only found Caucasian men as practitioners. And each one of them declined to represent her, most likely because they misconstrued Spanx as being another pantyhose. But reality is, it wasn't until one of the attorney's daughters overheard the concept and said, dad, that's completely different. That that attorney was able to then assist Sarah Blakely in drafting the claims of her application. Now, commendable to Sarah Blakely that she did not take no for an answer, went to the Georgia Tech Law Library, learned how to draft the patent on her own, and crafted her very first patent applications. But 
Sarah Blakely was able to sell her company in 2021 for $1.2 billion. She was selling fax machines door to door. What has that done for her, her family, and the future of not only herself, but the individuals that worked in her company, right? It changes lives. And so that's why it's important to see a practitioner on the other side that looks like you because they understand the idea, the innovation. You know, looking at the inventor community, when the USPTO report in 2019 reported that the lack of representation by female inventors in the process. And one of our team members, Charu Karani, started this initiative where we could create and address the lack of diversity. And in 2021, we partnered with several organizations to hold a virtual conference focused on underrepresented inventors contemporaneously launched the pledge to increase diversity and innovation. And the pledge boasts 70 companies, and thanks to Suzanne Harrison and Bo, who really kind of helped create that initiative, right? So Increasing Diversity and Innovation, or IBII, is an amazing organization that focuses on the inventor side. And ADAPT, for example, will also be working with the inventor community because together, the inventor community, the practitioner community need to come together as one in order to truly see difference in the industry. Suzanne Harrison and Bo Hyden, both previous guests on Cypher Vision, and they approached us recently to go and say, how are you doing in Europe? Because one of the things which this discussion has is an incredible US centricity, but this is a, an issue which I hope will spread. I hope NCPP will reach. I hope ADAPT will reach. Certainly on the women inventor rate, the numbers which are soon to be published by the EPO and afterwards by Bo show the rate at 9%. The WIPO report, 14.7%. So for all the confidence that Europe was going to come out better because we have a 50-50 split of male-female workforce, it's a universal problem. To that, yes, I agree a thousand percent, Nigel. And to that point, NCPP is looking to expand internationally. And, you know, there have been a couple of European companies who have expressed interest in partnering with us. And so that is something that is directly in our foresight and, and would love to, to work with you guys as well. And what about your bias towards patents? NCPP, at least one of those P's probably stands for patents, right? It does. But we're also moving into trademarks. There's a similar scenario in trademarks. The difference is you can't be a trademark agent, let's say, before going to law school, but leveraging the training and resources as an opportunity to educate more women and, and minorities as well in the trademark field will also help us to increase numbers on from that perspective as well. Very simply, different people experience different problems and the innovation and ways to resolve those problems are the new things that need to be protected via the patent system. And if we're not actively engaging with diverse individuals who have diverse problems to create diverse solutions, well, then we're missing out as a society on tons and tons of relevant ideas that can catapult us into the future. Then if you layer on the fact that those diverse individuals need to interact and engage with diverse legal representation, well, then you have an ecosystem that supports itself and lends to innovation and idea creation for multiple cultures, multiple people of different backgrounds. And we all move forward as a society together. 
Right. So that's brilliant. I was going to ask, you know, what's your sort of call to action for the future? And that sounded like you encapsulated it really well there. Mike, what's your call to action for everyone who's listening to the podcast? It's thanks to innovators and those who see the benefit like Jeremiah Chan and Alan Lowe and Jennifer Newstead at Meta and others. But as Jeremiah articulated in an article in 2021, when you have people with different backgrounds, experiences, and perspectives, it facilitates greater cognitive diversity, which produces better solutions, period. That is what drives us at Meta. That is what drives us to participate in the patent pipeline program. That is what drives us to be a part of ADAPT. And that is what drives us to truly engage in building diversity in our innovator community. And so that's the way we operate and that's the way we'll continue to operate. And we know that together with that driving force, we can see change. After all these big conversations, it's always left to me to ask our guests for a cipher vision, a key takeaway. Braxton, what do you have for us? The thing for us is, is really engaging with more international practitioners, with more international vendors and understanding their problems and, and trying to help them as well. And so as the executive director of NCPP and, and running the patent pipeline program, to get involved with us is not hard. Go to the website, dncpp.org, click on the DE&I tab, take the patent pipeline pledge and join us in trying to change the industry forever. Mike? DE&I can seem overwhelming when you start to consider the bias and discrimination that marginalized communities face on a daily basis. But truly, together, we can address the innovation divide if we, one, recognize that we should not treat DE&I as a separate initiative from our jobs. It's got to be a part of what we do and why we do what we do. Two, we need to continuously evaluate and measure whether our efforts are addressing the problem. If we don't see meaningful change, then perhaps we should reevaluate. And lastly, we need to build a community of committed allies. Cypher, the NCPP, ADAPT, all programs are looking to work together to pull in the same direction. And I'm confident that we can see change in that regard. I'm white, male and Jewish. My parents offered me a choice of being a doctor or a lawyer. And just like Mike, I don't like blood. Not everyone's journey is so linear, and underrepresented minorities are exactly that. Braxton and Mike are phenomenal individuals. They are driven and ambitious, so destined for individual success. But you're encouraged to look beyond this, to what they strive to achieve, diversity and inclusion. This is a multidimensional problem and one which they, Meta, and many other companies that support NCPP, ADAPT, and the Diversity Pledge are attacking from all directions. As with all our conversations on Cypher Vision, we should start with why. Of course, this has a social dimension, but it's also rooted in economics. The future depends on technology and innovation. This requires the very best talent to be attracted to science and technology and the intellectual property rights that protect the associated investment. The reality that the IP profession is not harnessing this potential on grounds of gender or race is economic negligence. Please take a closer look at the initiatives we've discussed today and ask yourself, what can you do to help? Braxton, Mike, it's been a pleasure. No, no, it's been an honour to talk to you today. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning into Cypher Vision podcast series. Please continue the conversation on social using hashtag CypherVision and share your thoughts about today's episodes on diversity, equity, and inclusion in IP.